Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. This is the first message in a brand new series titled Unseen War. So to kick off this series, here's our teaching pastor, Justin Bluer. Good morning. Happy first day of... Has anybody been waiting for three months? Anybody been waiting for six months? Anybody been waiting for 12 months? Happy spring. Um, Let's give a warm welcome to all our other campuses that are joining us today. Um, If you're new to Berean, you need to know that we love reaching other communities. And so today we have our online friends joining us from all over the place. We have our Bainbridge campus joining us from 25 miles or minutes, depending on how you drive, over some hills over there. Welcome, Bainbridge. And our Cincinnatus uh, campus, 25 minutes-ish over some hills northwest. And last Sunday, I got to worship with our Cincy friends. It was awesome to be there with them. And uh, my two boys were with me, Hudson and Theo, and we got a tour of their new kids' wing, which is beautiful. And so, great job, Nathan, and everyone who's worked up there so hard on it. I'm convinced that space is going to be used for years to come to introduce young people to Jesus Christ. And that gives me hope for our future in this community. (laughs) Speaking of young people, I was one once. And uh, (laughs) really, honestly. And when I was a young people... Uh, my uncle gave me and my brothers a really cool gift. Anyone remember these things? It was a VHS. Some young people don't even have any clue what it is. It was, they were these massive, big, like, cassette tapes that were, like, this big, right? It was a VHS camcorder that, I mean, we felt like news anchors, carry this, this thing around. Now, the sound was broken. It didn't work. But who cares? The first motion pictures didn't have sound either, and they were just fine. So what we would do is we would hit record on this thing. We would go hide behind, or we'd take some socks, actually. We'd put them on our hands. We'd go hide behind the couch. Ours weren't this good. We'd go hide behind the couch, and we'd do these epic puppet shows. For the camera. We would then take the VHS tape out, put it in the VCR, sit back, and watch our shows until we wet our pants because we laugh so hard. (laughs) True confessions. Now, if I had some clips of those puppet shows to share with you, you might laugh too. They were pretty ridiculous. We did a lot without sound. But I don't think any one of you would watch one of those shows and think that those puppets had any life in themselves. I think you would be very aware that behind the couch were some very amateur puppet masters who were bringing those things to life. Now here's the irony. When you and I look out at our world, I think many of us realize that something's just a little bit off. I think we realize that there there seems to be something behind the couch. There seems to be some sort of puppet master or, 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 or some source of something that's causing a collaboration of all these powers. You have to wonder, how is it possible that the media always seems so aligned with Hollywood, always seems so aligned with politicians? Anyone else ever wonder that? How do they seem to have the same messages as if they're reading from the same script? How does it seem like it's on cue, their response to a crisis is almost in lockstep the same? And so some of you, some of us who are dot connectors, we connect those dots and we say, there there seems to be something going on here. There seems to be more going on than meets the eye. There seems to be something almost sinister a foot. Now, here's where I want us to go the extra step. What if that sinister thing is more than what meets the eye? What if it is not a human conspiracy? What if it is a very evil 
unseen conspiracy with a master puppeteer at work. And what if that master puppeteer is way older, way wiser, and way more powerful than we realize? Craig Rochelle says this, you cannot defeat what you don't define. And for that reason, today we start a new four-week series, Unseen War, Battling the Darkness. And we kick it off today by pulling back the curtain on something that's raging around us that is literally affecting every one of us, happening out of sight but deeply impacting our everyday lives. And our goal today is to expose the master puppeteer, the one behind the couch. And so we're going to do that together, but before we do, I, I am deeply aware, as you probably are, that that puppeteer is probably not happy that he's going to get exposed here today. And so I'd like to begin by praying for God's help before we dive into this. Father God, we're going to embark on some pretty heavy stuff today. Would you please open our eyes to see our real enemy? Would you please change our minds if necessary? so we can fight him effectively. Forgive us for getting caught up in skirmishes that are the wrong skirmishes. God, open my eyes, open our eyes to truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready to dive into some heavy stuff? All right, Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28 in your chair, Bible. Uh, it's page 688. Some fascinating scripture that we're going to look at today. Ezekiel 28. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're using an electronic Bible, you can tap to NLT. And that'll match word for word with what I'm going to read today. All right, I'll give you a minute to get there because I really want us to see this together. Okay, here we go. Verse 11. Then this further message came to me from the Lord. So this is a message from God to a prophet. Son of man, sing this, what type of song? funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. So off the bat, I want you to know that what we're about to read is a really descriptive unveiling or expose on your enemy, but it's done so within the context of a funeral song. Don't miss that. This is a funeral song. When you sing a funeral song, you're singing it for someone who has what? They're dead. This is a funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Now, before we go further, you may be a little confused. Who is this cryptic king of Tyre we're about to read? Now, there was an actual nation of Tyre, and there was an actual tyrant king of Tyre. But this description here is going to use the king of Tyre label to refer not to the evil villain king you could see, but to the unseen villain who empowered him, the one you couldn't see. So it's pretty deep, pretty heavy. And let me just ask you before, you go before we go further, who do you think that is? Who do you think the unseen puppeteer of the world is? That was Pretty unanimous, Satan. Okay, so you already have probably an image or idea of Satan. And I think for many of us, the idea we have is probably something like this. When we think of Satan, when we think of the devil, we probably think of an ugly red bean with a pitchfork in hell. Some think he's real, some think he's more of a legend or a picture of evil. But here's the deal. When you read the word of God... 
you find that this being is indeed real and this is not at all what he's like. And if he's as real and as powerful and as unlike this as we're about to find out, it would probably be wise to define him so we can defeat him. Verse 12. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of... Does your, does your Bible say perfection? You, you were the model of perfection. Yeah, I don't know that we're on track with our thoughts of him. You, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. So this idea of Satan as this ugly red pitchfork being in hell is a total misconception. Satan is really, in actuality, beautiful. I mean, there's probably a reason he's so effective is because none of us have any idea what he looks like. We've totally misunderstood him. He's beautiful, perfect, powerful. In fact, as we keep reading, we're about to find out that he literally is second. He was created second in command, number two in the universe. And so you think about that for a moment. It was only when he was in the presence of God that he experienced someone more powerful than him. Let that sink in for a moment. It is only when he was in the presence of God that he experienced someone more beautiful and more powerful than him. Charles Ryrie, the theologian, puts it this way. Satan stood at the zenith of God's creatures, filled with wisdom and perfect in beauty. Where do you get that from? He gets that right from here, from the description in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Now, let me ask you, now that Satan is no longer this beautiful being, which we'll talk about in a minute, now that we know he's this evil being, how do you think he disguises himself on a day-to-day basis? And this is where it gets crazy is his disguise is told to us in 2 Corinthians. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Not only was he created perfect, exquisite in beauty, but his current disguise is as an angel of light. And I think this is why he's so effective, is because we simply don't recognize him. He is not an ugly creature in hell, He is a beautiful being who walks among us and he looks good and he sounds good and he slightly twists the truth and he wears the cloak of religion and he wears the cloak of goodness and he wears the cloak of morality to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. So let's keep going. This is an interesting description. Verse 13, you were in Eden. The garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis luzuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. This is a beautiful, powerful, being, the kind of being you'd look at and you wouldn't be able to say anything other than, wow, he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Now, some of you are starting to connect the dots here. When you see that Satan was in where? Eden, you remember from our previous series, when we did the seven seas of history of the human story, we started with creation and who was there in Eden? The serpent. Satan. At the end of our series, all the way in Revelation, who did we find? Satan. From beginning to end of the human story, you find this being who we have described here. This serpent. Let let me share with you some of his names because that can be confusing. He's got so many different nicknames. All of them kind of mean something different, and we'll briefly go through them. One of his names from Genesis to Revelation is Serpent. And the idea is he's cunning, he's crafty. The thing about a snake is you don't usually see them until they're lunging for you or until you feel their bite. 
And so Satan is called a serpent. He's also called in the Greek 32 different times the devil. The, the word devil in Greek simply means the slanderer. To slander means you lie about someone, you defame them, you wreck their reputation. You have someone who is your slanderer, who wants to do nothing more than to ruin your reputation. That's Satan's role. Another word for him in, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, 52 times, is Satan. This word simply means the opposer or the adversary. You ever deal with a kid who's adversarial? And I mean, he just wants to eat the world for lunch. Right? It just opposes everything. You need to know Satan is, is an oppositional defiant being. He's, he's, he's bent away from God and he's bent to kind of oppose or push against you constantly. He's Satan the opposer. Another description word for him used throughout Revelation is dragon. And you get the idea of dragon as a fierce being. Ferocious and powerful. Another name for Satan, this is an interesting one, is Beelzebul. And Beelzebul, <laughs> some have translated the Lord of the Flies. Uh, others translate it the Prince of the Demons. The Prince of the Demons. Uh, Belial is another word that you'll see in the Gospels uh, mentioned for Satan. And it's it's the term for the worthless one or the wicked one, the one who used to be good and then he flipped. And now he's worthless. Another word for him is the accuser. That's part of his slandering is he's accusing you. He's making false accusations about you to God constantly. He is the tempter. He's the one enticing or tempting you and I towards the darkness. He's also called Lucifer in Isaiah, which literally just means light bearer. He's the light bearer. Again, that's his disguise. That's the way he was created, to be an agent of light. And maybe the biggest description, the biggest nickname that you could give him, especially in the context we look at today, is he is the evil one. Say this with me. Satan is the one. When you see evil, you need to know who's behind it. He is the evil one. Seven Old Testament books teach that Satan is a literal being and that he's real. Every New Testament writer affirmed that Satan ex exists and is real. Jesus talked about Satan 25 times in the Gospels and talked about him like he's real. So if Satan is as real as Jesus claimed he was, as every New Testament writer said he was, as the Old Testament claims, he's probably someone we should learn about more than this fictitious idea that we've come to believe. So let's keep going to find out more. Verse 14, I ordained and appointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and you walked among the stones of fire. Some of your translations, instead of saying mighty angelic guardian, how does it say it? You were, you were the cherub, right? The anointed cherub or cherubim. Satan was created by God as a cherubim. You might say, what is a cherubim? It is an angel, but it's in a category of angels that were the mightiest. They are the strongest angels, so you think of angels, and again, we have a really warped view of angels like these really sweet little beings. That's not at all what angels are. Anytime they ever appeared in history, people fell down terrified thinking they're about to die. And I don't think that when I see a Christmas angel on a tree. I've never fallen down and said, oh, I'm going to die. Angels are incredibly powerful. And cherubim are the most powerful angels. They are given the responsibility to be God's secret service. But they're not secret. They're, they're, they're literally the guardians of the throne of God. They are God's henchmen. Any person of importance, when you're selecting your inner circle of guards, you're not going to choose guys like me. You're going to choose the six foot four, 250 pound guys. And that's who Lucifer was created to be. He was the big guy. He was the guardian of the throne of God. And he was given extraordinary access to the throne because he was the guard of that throne. 
He's so powerful, in fact, that Michael, who is the archangel, appears to not even want to get in an argument with him. You can see that in Jude 9. It's kind of fascinating. So the indication is that that Lucifer, Satan, is created to be number two, the most powerful created being in the universe. And if all of this is true, it begs the question, how old is he? He could be older than the world itself. We don't know when he was created. He was created at some point, and he's as old or older than the world itself. And I think that's where we don't give him enough credit. He has had thousands of years to perfect his craft. You think of a professional sports person, and typically, as they get past the rookie year, they tend to get better as they get to their peak of performance because they're gaining all this knowledge. You need to realize your enemy is not just at the peak of his performance, but he has gained knowledge over thousands of years. You think of AI, artificial intelligence, self-learning. They keep learning and learning and learning. Alexa, when you first buy it, she's really dumb because she doesn't understand what you're asking. But over time, she gets used to your questions and starts to give you better answers. Satan is similar in that over time, he's gotten better at better. He knows what doesn't work, and he doesn't use it. He's really good at what he does. He's an expert at knowing the human buttons. So think of it. Some of you have a family member who knows your buttons. Amen? They know your buttons. They know how to press them. Satan knows your buttons. He knows how to press them, and he's really good at it. He not only knows how to press them, he knows when to press them. When you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're lonely. I mean, he's a master at his craft. He is a master puppeteer. And so if he's as intelligent and powerful as Scripture indicates, then no wonder when we look at our world and we get dizzy, some of you, you are so dizzy and disoriented by how fast our world has changed in your lifetime. Some of you can't believe it. You're like, how did we go from what I grew up in to being a world where good is now called evil and evil is now called good and it's not enough to be silent. Now if you don't speak up, silence is now considered violence and you've got to affirm what's politically correct or you're the hateful one. Some of you are really bothered by this. What you're seeing is you're seeing a master tactician at work pulling strings in the darkness and he's brilliant. And in one generation, some of you have lived to see the shift that's taken place. You have a really brilliant enemy who knows how to pull strings, who knows how to press buttons, and he's good at what he does. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 15, you were, this is bizarre, you were what in all you did? You were blame. Do you ever think of Satan that way? You were blameless. Satan was blameless when God made him. From the day you were created until the day what was found in you. Evil. Now, right now, there is this hunt and the scientific investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Did it begin in a, in a, in a wet market? Did it begin in a lab? Did it... Where did it begin? And there's scientists and people that are studying this and they're looking for the origins and there's a big debate raging. Here's what I want you to know. For thousands of years, there's been a raging debate about the origins of evil, sin. Where did it come from? And I want you to know it didn't originate with Adam and Eve. It originated right here. God, when he made Satan, made someone who was blameless, beautiful, and powerful, intelligent, and brilliant. He made someone who also had free choice. And just like when God made the first humans, God didn't make robots. He gave them the choice to accept him or reject him, to worship him or rebel, to love him or hate him. And when God made angels, he gave them the same freedom. He did not make robots. When God made cherubim, he gave them the same freedom to worship or rebel. And Satan, number two, was not content 
to be the vice, was not content to guard the throne. He felt like he deserved to sit in it, as did many others. And so look at what happened in verse 16. Your rich commerce led you to violence, and you sinned. So we we talked about the corruption event where Adam and Eve ate the fruit and ruined the world. This is the corruption event where the cherub, the mighty cherub Satan, Lucifer, does the same thing first. He sins. And so God banishes him. I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. See, Satan realized, I can use my power to enrich myself. I can can esteem myself. I can promote myself. I can be who I want to be. I can be whatever I want to be. Do any of these phrases sound familiar? I mean, we say the same thing. We just couch it in stuff that sounds great. And and this is exactly what happened with Satan. In fact, Isaiah describes it kind of graphically. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, Lucifer, the light bearer, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. He ruined it. He ruined it. Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What do you see over and over? I, I, I. What is the culture that we live in? We live in the me culture. Look out for number one. Make sure you have strong self-esteem. I mean, again, all of it sounds so good, and it's the whispers of a powerful serpent who for thousands of years has been saying, I, I, I. What if evil was not caused by God? I think a lot of times we get mad at evil. And let me say, if you're mad at evil, you should be. But you need to know that God is not the source of evil, the creator of evil, or the originator of evil. God created, when he made Satan, he made someone really good. Satan became a rebel. Satan became a defiant, oppositional, mighty being to God. And when he did that, evil originated with him. So when you get mad at evil or you get mad at the effects of evil, sin, suffering, disease, and death, the natural response is for us to shake our fists at God. And we need to know we're shaking our fists at the wrong place. God is not the source of that. Like darkness is the absence of light, evil is the opposite of God. And Satan is the one who introduced it to the universe. If you're mad at evil, be mad at the evil one. The only way to defeat him is to define him. So let's finish this passage. Verse 17. Your heart was filled with what? Pride. It's considered to be the keystone sin. The sin that's behind most every other sin is the selfish pride, this desire to make my life better that I have less pain, that I get what I want, that I fulfill my dreams. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with many sins in your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. They can't believe it. This is the number two, the mighty cherub, guardian of the throne of God. Look at what he's become. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end, and you will exist no more. What type of song is this? Funeral song. This is a really cool song to sing. 
you and I have a powerful enemy whose funeral song has already been written. And God's already singing it. Now, here's why God had to push back so hard against Lucifer when he had this idea of, I will do this, I will do this. The reason God had to push back was obvious. If his, if his guardian of the throne feels like he deserves the throne, God has to push back because God knows he doesn't deserve the throne. The only one who deserves the throne is the maker of the throne, God himself. So God has to oppose, God has to oppose evil and rebellion and pride because it's displacing to God. So when you and I experience pride, when you and I have pride, it is trying to push God out of his rightful place. And I got to tell you, God will not ever be pushed out of his rightful place. And so here's what scripture says. God opposes the proud. He has to. He has to. This is the danger of, of following or being a fan of someone who's proud. God is literally opposing or pushing them. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Notice under. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Our world is all about climbing the corporate ladder, all about bettering yourself, all about esteeming yourself. And God says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Humble yourself, humble yourself. I'll lift you up. I lift up the humble, but I knock down and I push down the proud. Now, here's where the story gets a little haunting. There are three titles of Satan that we didn't touch yet. And this is a little bizarre, but I'm going to share them. Ephesians 2.2 calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Have you heard that? In John 12, there's another title. He is the ruler of this world. And there's an even more haunting title for him in 2 Corinthians 4. He is the God of this world. Some of you are scratching your heads like, whoa, 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 wait, Justin, I, I kind of thought God was God, ruler, and prince. Not of this world. In this world, Satan is God ruler and prince. Confusing? Now, there's an element of this where Satan is doing what he does best. He's a master counterfeiter. He disguises himself as an angel of light, and so he's taking the throne he couldn't, the throne he couldn't have in heaven, he's taking it on earth for himself. There's an element of this that's counterfeit, but there's an element of this that's real, and here's why. In Eden, God gave who dominion and authority over everything that was made. Humans. He gave humans, check out Genesis 1, he gave humans all authority, rulership. Humans were to be the prince of creation. But very quickly in the human story, humans did what? They ceded that authority. They gave up that authority over to Satan, and he took it. And since then, humans have not been the rulers of this world, like we were called to be. We've given over control to an insidious, powerful enemy. So think about the power of when Jesus made himself a human to take back authority from the one who sits on earth's throne. Now think about this. Satan was livid when Jesus came to his domain. When Jesus came to earth, Whose home turf was he on? He was on Satan's home turf, and that was the tension of Jesus' 33 years. He was a fish out of water. He was opposed by the systems and the governments and the religious leaders of the world. He was out of his element because it was taken over by the darkness. Now, when, when Satan went to tempt Jesus, when did, when did Satan go after Jesus? How old was Jesus? He's 30 years old. Satan's really patient. He tried to kill him at birth. That was unsuccessful. He waited till he was 30 years old. He waited till he had been without food for 40 days. Jesus was on the brink of starvation. And Satan came to him. He's really good. He knows when to push buttons. 40 days. Jesus hadn't eaten. Jesus was starving. Satan comes to him and he says, use your power to turn those rocks to stone. Could Jesus have done it? Did Jesus want to do it? 
You betcha. Satan always uses stuff that he knows we want. And Jesus refused. So then Satan offered a second temptation. He took him up to the top of the temple. He said, throw yourself down. Look at all the crowds down there. Throw yourself down. You won't die because who will catch you? Angels will catch you. Would angels have caught Jesus? Absolutely. It wasn't his time to die. Jesus refused to do it. But it's his third temptation that's pretty staggering. And I want you to see it for yourself. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. This, this isn't, uh, uh, traditionally it's a mountain that Chuck and I have been to over in Israel and, and you, can, you can see an enormous perspective of, of Israel from it. Satan took him to this mountain where he could see this huge picture out in front of him and Satan said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, I think that makes us pause and even kind of chuckle, like Satan offering something to Jesus, nothing to give Jesus. But listen, would that have been a valid temptation if Satan was offering something that wasn't his? That'd be like me taking my kid's candy bag and be like, I'll give this to you if you clean your room. Like, Daddy, look at the bag. It's got my name on it. You're not going to fool me. What if it actually was Satan's to give? What if the nations of the world literally were Satan's to give? Luke is even clearer. Same description of the same temptation, but Luke says it this way. The devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and he said this, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine a typo, mine to give, and to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Oh. Satan was offering the kingdoms of the world and the authority of earth to Jesus because they were his to give. Is any of this shocking to consider the implications When God says this world is not your home, maybe he actually means it. When he says that we're strangers and pilgrims down here, maybe it's because we literally live in a kingdom of darkness ruled by a power, ruler, prince, and God called Satan. And he is the master puppeteer pulling the strings of this world. Now, it gets a little bit more haunting Because not only is Satan operating out of sight on this world with full authority and control over lots of stuff that happens down here, but what if it was possible for him to possess people? Now we're getting creepy. But it happens. We're told it happens. Look at this. When Judas had eaten the bread, who entered into him? Yikes. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. The indication is that Satan has the ability to possess people. People. Now, next week we'll get into talking about demons and what do you do about that, and it's fascinating stuff. Some people do exorcisms. I would recommend a different tactic. But there is one final human that Satan will possess. That one final human is named Antichrist. An antichrist is going to be a powerful human who's going, to, who's going to stand up in a crisis. There'll be a global crisis. Antichrist is going to stand up. Satan's going to go into him, possess him, cause him to do some things that are so powerful. People will be like, he is the Savior. He's God. He's Messiah. And most of the world will believe him, but God's kids won't be fooled. The Antichrist is going to say, everyone follow me, show your allegiance to me by getting a mark and the whole mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff is all in prophecy. Some of you have heard that. But here's the thing. One day, God is going to step in. He's going to overthrow not just that Antichrist, but the puppeteer behind him and throw him into his eternal judgment. My son, Hudson, four years old, said recently, he said, I can't wait for Satan to go to fire jail. know where he got that but he's pretty accurate fire jail man you hear this stuff and it can be unnerving it can be scary and and i think that may be healthy 
in a sense, to wake us up to how powerful our enemy is. But, but, I don't want you to leave in fear. Here's what Jesus said. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, and Satan does. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Study out Job chapter 1 and 2, and you'll see that Satan has no authority without God's permission. Now, God can give him a ton of permission, and he does. Look at Job. God gave him permission to do everything to Job except kill him. God gave him permission to kill his family, his kids, everyone but his wife. I mean, it's this tragic story, and then you read the end, and Job never found out why. He never found out that Satan was pulling the strings. He never found out. But we're told we're given a peek behind the curtains. But here's why I want you not to fear Satan is because Satan has one fatal flaw. He's a supernatural being that you can't just fight by being strong. Jesus didn't even fight him by ignoring him or being arrogant or by being flippant. Jesus threw scripture at him. If Jesus responded that way with that level of seriousness, maybe I should too. But here's the deal. Satan has one fatal flaw. Superman has kryptonite. Satan's kryptonite is spelled J-E-S-U-S. And he is no match for the power of Jesus Christ. And he knows it. And here's what scripture says. We'll talk more about this next week. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The power of the Most High God resides in you. If you are a child of God, and he is stronger than the evil one. So real quick here, you might be thinking, well, okay, I don't, I don't know how this all fits together. How does this all fit together? Here's a big idea this morning. The prince of this world is no match for the king of the universe. But I don't want you to underestimate Satan. Satan because he's done something tragic. Here's what he's done. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. These are the people we think are the real enemies. These are the people that are defying us, that are opposing us. For some of you, it's a politician. For some of you, it's a leader. For some of you, it's your neighbor. For some of you, it's your spouse. For some of you, it's a crazy ex. And they're ruining your life, and you feel like they're the enemy, but they're not. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. In hostage negotiations, trained hostage negotiators are extraordinarily careful because they know that one wrong word and one stray bullet can kill the very hostages they're trying to save. And I think that we need to become better hostage negotiators as Christians. Because I think we're pretty indiscriminate about firing our weapons into the opposing team. And I think unintentionally we're taking out the very people that Jesus is trying to rescue and save. When you look around you and you see people that you can't stand, people who are your enemy, your sworn enemy, and they're on the other side politically, they're on the other side of the issues, they're on the other side of your life, your ex, whatever, and you like, they're the enemy, they're not. But they very well could be captives of the real enemy. And when you fight them, you're fighting the very people that God may be trying to rescue. And maybe we should be praying for God to let them have a softened heart so they can come to their senses and escape the grasp of the devil. Your current human enemy may one day become your brother or sister in Christ. What if you started treating them like they're a hostage rather than an enemy? Because here's what God says. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of what world? The unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Humans are not your enemy. There is not a single human being on earth who is your enemy. If you think there is, you're wrong. Your enemy is the evil one, and he's got hostages who look like your enemies.
Don't let him trick you. Your enemy is an unseen enemy and your battle is an unseen battle. And you only win this battle on your knees, my friends. This morning, I took a little extra time on my knees before sharing this because I knew out of sight today is a battle that I can't win without the power of Jesus. There's a song we've been learning together called Battle Belongs. And the lyrics are just so powerful. We've been singing out the last few weeks of this song. Let me read the lyrics in light of what we've just learned. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. Satan's funeral song has already been written. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. As I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, O oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night, O oh God, the battle belongs to you. An almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of God. We are in an unseen war. And our enemy... The prince of this world is no match for the king of the universe. No match. Now, real quick, let me ask you a question. What is Satan's motivation? If he already knows, do you, do you think Satan's read this book? Of course he has. He knows what it says. Do you think Satan knows he's defeated? Of course he does. So what's his end game? If you're, if you're a sports follower, you know what happens towards the end of a regular season. Towards the end of a regular season, most players have already clinched. If in football, it's a playoff berth. And usually there's a couple games to play out for losing teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. What motivation do they have to try? What motivation do they have to go out on the field when they are not going to get in the playoffs? It's a useless game. Why do they still play to win? What's on the line? Their pride. That's it. And they play the role of, what do we call that? What's the role they play? Spoiler. Your enemy is playing the role of spoiler. He already knows he lost. And now he's playing the role of spoiler. He wants to take as many people with him to fire jail as he can. He wants to ruin as many lives of God's kids as he can. He wants to do as much damage and create as much chaos in the kingdom of God as he can. And he's doing a really good job. And what if you and I rob him of the satisfaction by stop shooting at each other and stop shooting at the hostages and begin to turn our weapons against him? When we realize who he is, we'll do that. Jesus put it this way. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He's the great spoiler. He knows he's lost. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. How do you fight an unseen enemy? Only with unseen weapons. Next few weeks, we're going to get into some more stuff. It's going to get pretty practical and helpful. But I hope today, defining Satan is the first step to fighting this unseen war. Every week, we're going to have discussion questions in your e-bulletin. You can study those out with your family. You can discuss them in your connect groups and kind of go the next level. There's, if you like to research or read, I'm going to give you two bonus research uh, today, two bonus books to read. The first is really good. Louis Giglio says, uh, he's got this book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. It's Time to Win the Battle of Your Mind. The Mind. Now, I, I don't want you to overestimate Satan. He can't read your mind. But he can plant stuff there. He can't be in two places at once. He's a created being. But he can move really fast. And he's got a lot of beings working for him. Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, Louis Giglio. Powerful, excellent book. The other one that's seven decades old is a novel by C.S. Lewis. Brilliant gentleman, The Screw Tape Letters. And he get, how many of you read The Screw Tape Letters? Really good stuff. It, it's a novel, but it gives you a window into a fictitious account of the unseen war. Really, I mean, if you are a reader, read a little book, read the screw tape letters. Powerful, eye-opening 
stuff. But I want to tell you, your enemy is not an enemy you can see. We live in a world that's under his control. And he is a really good puppet master. Let's fight him with his kryptonite. His name is Jesus. And greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, I want to thank you for not leaving us ignorant to this unseen war. I want to thank you for sharing with us about the king of Tyre, the the puppet master. And Father, it's kind of scary. I, I was getting chills researching just how much power and authority Lucifer really has. And God, it makes me more dependent on you. And I think that's the goal. That's the desire. As we define our enemy, we realize that only in your power do we fight him and only in your power can we defeat him. So God, I pray that today each and every child of God would be awakened to an unseen war and that we would begin to diligently research the tactics of our enemy and our eyes would be open to stop fighting people and to start turning our our guns on the true enemy. Father, for those whose eyes are opening today who have not yet surrendered to you, I pray that today they would believe and you would transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, the day you did that for me, I I went from being a hostage of the evil one to being a child of the king. My life has never been the same. I pray that for some this morning who believe in Jesus, the powerful one, the king of the universe. Thank you, God, for letting us have access to your mighty power. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.